Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts... Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to my Best Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, and with me is uh, Chase Wilsey. Chase, how you doing? Good, yeah, good, good to be here. Uh, glad to have you back. Yeah, yeah, good, good to be back after two weeks. Kind of like I was saying, like, okay, I get back on the saddle. Two weeks gone. I've been doing the show for thirty years. It's kind of like riding a bike, right back to it. But uh, a lot of things we want to talk about here. Want to get right into it. Uh, we got to talk about the the well, actually, the jobs report came out yesterday. The April jolts report came out last week, and although job openings declined in the recent jolts report, they still remained elevated. The report showed a job openings of eleven point four million in the month of April, which is the second highest on record behind the upward revised eleven point eight million in the month of March. The gap between the openings and available workers shrank from five point six million. In the month to uh, of March to five point four six million month of April, but still provides extremely tight labor market. Yeah, and and one thing that has continued to remain strong is that quits number. I mean, quits did come in at four point four million. That again was also below March's record number of four point five million. But again, I got to reiterate all those numbers that we just covered. Those records all occurred in March. March was right. a crazy report for it the Jolts report. So I do have to point that out. Uh, but again, it still does remain elevated. Compared to the pre-pandemic level, which was around 3.6 million, and I gotta say here, overall the labor market does remain healthy. We'll get in the jobs number here uh, after this, but I, I believe these record numbers are in the past as the economy begins to slow and companies and consumers face the consequences of, of high inflation. I, we know it's out there. We know inflation is a problem now, <laughs> and, and you know this is one thing we're gonna talk also too about the May unemployment numbers. But one thing that I that I say, and I I've heard Jamie Dimon come out. I've heard other people, oh, we're gonna have a recession. Well, uh, again, different reasons why I don't believe there'll be a recession. I want to point it out here is one in the first quarter, there's things that I believe will come back and reverse because they were way out of whack. We talked about the shipping and so forth. So that will change, I believe, in the second quarter, giving us a positive second quarter GDP. Not a huge number, but positive. Uh, the other thing too is that I remember in the 70s, you did have high inflation, but you had very high unemployment as well. If we can keep the employment in this situation where you have jobs, you do not like paying those high prices, but you have a job that you can pay the higher prices. And yes, you have to cut back, but it's not going to be the detriment we saw in the 70s. In the 70s, and I forget the employment number, it was it was <laughs> nowhere near where we are right now. Put it yeah, that way. And, and let's go through these employment numbers, too, because I, I do have a somewhat deferring opinion there, but uh, not too deferring, if that makes sense. So I kind of want to give these numbers and sure. then talk through that, because there, there are some thoughts I have about the, the recessionary, potential recessionary environment that we could see. Okay, so let's talk about the main uh, uh, employment numbers. Uh, the job market uh, numbers were good uh, yesterday morning as 390,000 jobs were recouped in the month of May. We're going to say recoup, not created, because they're recouping jobs from before. Uh, leisure and hospitality continued to uh, lead the way as there was a gain of 84,000 jobs. Uh, employment and business and professional services also remained strong, adding 74,000 jobs in the month. We, we can also talk about Elon Musk forcing people back into the office. Uh, one area that was extremely disappointing was retail, 
as there was a decline of 61,000 jobs in transportation and warehousing increased 47,000 jobs, which could indicate a continued shift from brick and mortar to online shopping. And the other thing, too, is uh, higher wages may also be hitting the retail industry particularly hard, where retailers are starting to say, you know, we have a lot of inventory, you know, foot traffic isn't accelerating as much as maybe we anticipated. We don't need all these employees in the store. We need to make these stores more efficient as our margins are shrinking. So I think that could also be part of the reason why retail did did struggle a little bit there. Uh, Looking at the current state of the job market compared to February 2020, though, the recovery is close to pre-COVID levels. The establishment survey, very important. People need to understand there are two different surveys. We've talked about this before on the show, but there's two different surveys when, when you're looking at the jobs numbers. The first one, again, is that establishment survey showed non-farm employment is now down to 0.5% or 822,000 payrolls. The household survey data, on the other hand, does show an unemployment rate of 3.6% versus the 3.5% pre-COVID level. And the total number of unemployed persons at 6 million is just above the pre-COVID level of 5.7 million. And while the recovery has come a long way, I do start to worry about cracks in the job market as more companies are starting to discuss layoffs or a freeze in hiring. Two of the most recent companies include Tesla and Coinbase. Coinbase, wow. That means there's trouble in the currency market, the cryptocurrencies, which we'll talk more about. Uh, Tesla, you know, I've heard that as well, but they're kind of saying that maybe Musk is kind of doing that because he says you got to be in the office and work at least 40 hours a week. Um, so they're saying he may be covering that. It's not really a layoff. It's just a, a way for him to kind of get away from doing that. Because on the other side, Ford, I think Ford said they're going to bring on, what was the number, 3 million people? I think Ford said they're going to rate maybe 3 million, 300,000. Ford is actually hiring people going forward. So I, I, I think you're reading some things that you're saying that maybe there are some companies saying they're laying off. I've not seen a whole lot of that yet. Are you seeing Elon other Musk said 10% is what he wants to cut right. from Tesla. I uh, have seen a couple other companies come out as well that they're freezing hiring, Right, uh, especially in the tech industry, more freezing in that, that industry, not hiring new people. Uh, so I, I was going to say, I mean, one thing that I look at is Sometimes what can create a recession is fears of a recession, <laughs> <You're> right? <laughs> because companies start saying, "Ah, we're, we're starting to get a little bit worried." And, and Musk, you know, did come out. Jamie Dimon came out, as he said. Are, are they doing a lay- Jamie Dimon? No, they're, okay. they didn't announce anything about a layoff at J.P. Morgan, but they they both have come out about concerns about a recession. Well, Jamie Dimon did say he's like, "We're getting a lot more conservative with our balance sheet just to prepare for right. a potential recession." So. What happens is you start to prepare for a recession. You're worried about costs. You're worried about expansion. And you're like, ah, maybe we won't expand anymore. Well, now all of a sudden that beautiful jobs market that we had <laughs> turns into non-expansionary. And maybe all of a sudden we start to see you know, some more layoffs because companies are, are worried about a recession. So I, I again, don't think I, – I want to be very clear. I don't think we're having a depression. I don't think we're having a crash. I still believe that next year we'll see a recession, but it's just going to be – you know, oh well, you know, maybe the jobs market now is only creating a, you know, fifty thousand jobs, or you know, right. maybe it's it's break even or, or slightly declining a little bit. You know, GDP maybe contracts one percent. It's it's not going to be anything catastrophic, in my opinion. But I, I think we will see just that that slowdown of growth. I just don't think there's going to be any more to to occur to to push the economy higher. Uh, especially with all these costs that are that are out there circulating, I think the consumer is starting to have a little bit of cracks. But just 
nothing that, that, that is catastrophic. And I think there's some positives there to what you're saying, because you talk about uh, people getting a little bit worried about the, the jobs. Now, this could be a positive because we talk about the quits rate being so high on the jolts. Maybe people won't be so likely to quit because when you quit, that causes the employer problems because now I got to find somebody else, got to train them, maybe mm-hmm. have to pay severance, whatever it may be. So maybe it's a positive that people get a little bit less confident about their jobs where they appreciate their jobs, they will come in. Um, you know, to the office, which again, you are more productive in the office when you're with a team and so forth, and you're, you're, you're all working th- towards that common goal of making money. Uh, so, so I think there could be some positives. And, and I know before I did say that I, I agree with you, we could have a recession in 2023. I want to kind of see what happens now because this could change. We may get on by this if, if the job market stays strong, um, and I think it will if people continue to spend. But you are so right. If people get concerned about a recession, <laughs> they make the recession because <laughs> they stop spending, that'd be a problem. But as long as they have a job, they're working, they will complain about inflation. They may cut back on some trips and maybe come back somewhat, but they will have money coming in as opposed to losing your job. Now you've cut back dramatically. That would be a problem. Yeah, and I, I do want to kind of address one thing too. You talk about the uh, coming into the office and so forth, and you know, obviously, we, we know Elon Musk was quite strong about that this last week about you right. will come into the office. Yes, but it, it is funny you talk about kind of that team, and you know, I, I've been part of team sports my whole life. I, I think they're a, a, a great thing in developing people because right. you learn how to work with people. And I was talking to somebody. I said, you know. I think it was at football practice because, again, I still coach at Poway High. I was talking to one of the coaches said, you know, this whole thing about working from home. Can you imagine if we had our team and we say, okay, you guys all go train home (laughs) by yourselves and then we'll show up Friday and we'll play together. Right. That's not going to work very good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just a little side tangent there, but it it is – some truth to that, I would say. It, it's true because you, you can Zoom, you can call on the phones. It's still not the same because a great example, as a team, you need to play together. You need to see how it, when you're going right, they're going left, or you, you know what's going on. Same thing in the office. And I was thinking, too, um, that, that famous comedy, The Office. Well, you can't have a at-home comedy. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't work because you need to be at the office talking with people. So um, I, 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 I believe, based on what I'm seeing now, that we're going to have good employment numbers, a strong employment numbers there, and that will keep us out of the recession because people will still continue to spend. They will complain a lot because I, I do too. Like, what? Gas? I, I paid six oh five for gas yesterday in Rancho Bernardo, um, and it's just like... Wow, and you, and you see that that pump goes past $100, like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it does make you think. But we complain about it, but as long as you have a job, you can still have money to spend. And, and actually... I think people will be tighter. Uh, this, I think, and we'll get into cryptos a little bit more, but this can be harder on your meme investments, your crypto investments, because now you're not so free with your money. You're more concerned about, yeah, it's probably not going to do that now. And, and that's kind of what Jamie Dimon said as well, is that this this Fed tightening, and he, he brought up the point too, and, and we're actually going to see quantitative tightening this month oh, yeah. is when it starts. Yep. And that's, again, the, the Fed starting to let those bonds run off the balance sheet without repurchasing them, is that, that we haven't seen quantitative tightening like this ever. Right. And, and Jamie Dimon said this is going to be something for the history books for years to come because yep. we've never seen it. And he said, I, I 
we don't know how it's going to play out, essentially. He, his estimation is that the speculative areas are going to get crushed. And your speculative areas are so right. The meme stocks, right. cryptos. He also did bring up the housing market. And he said what the quantitative tightening should do is it, it should actually reduce housing prices back to a more normalized level to aid in that affordability for for the economy. So I, I think there are going to be areas that get hit. There's going to be areas that maybe go down initially. I, I think maybe things do kind of pull back a little bit altogether. But the speculative areas, and we've already seen a lot of them get hit hard, doesn't mean they can't get hit harder. And right. the, the pain could continue in a lot of those stocks that, that have had problems. And we talk about big tech. Big tech could I, – I saw a gentleman on, on uh, Fox Business yesterday, and Stuart Varney, the, the uh, host there, was saying, he's like, yeah, but big tech's down 30%. And he's like – the guy brought up the great point. He's like, during the tech bust, 30%, well, things went down another 57% right. after that. You know, things can fall further – and things are going to get cut in half from getting cut in half. Right. you got to be very careful. And I think I saw that same thing. And, and I think he also said, too, and he goes, just because it's cheap now doesn't mean it can't get cheaper. And then he kind of told Barney owns Microsoft. And he kind of said, well, maybe you should sell it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, know, you can make some changes there, you know. Uh, but, again, that, that could very well happen. And, and he brought up the great point, too. And, and this is why, in my opinion, value investing works so well, is a lot of these growth names, what happens, they go from growth to all of a sudden they get halved because they all people start to, oh, there's no more growth. It get cut, cut in half. Well, then all of a sudden oh, the valuation starts to look good. Well, the emotional side still leads people to sell further. Yes. So then it goes down because of, oh, my gosh, it's down 50. I'm just going to sell and get out. And it right. gets pushed further and further down. And that's where that value opportunity comes into play. Right. Well, let's move on to cryptocurrencies. We could talk about this the, yeah, the whole no. <laughs> hour because it gets really, really, uh, you know, very complex. But uh, one thing that has helped Cryptocurrencies has been stable coins, which are worth about $130 billion, combining both Tether and USDC, falling behind Bitcoin and Ethereum. However, the disclosures backing these up for the $1 for each crypto dollar does not come from the best sources. Uh, I saw an auditor from the Cayman Islands issued an, ins- an assurance opinion in December 2021. Yeah, the audit revealed 84% of its reserves were in cash and equivalents, treasuries, short-term deposits, and commercial paper. Uh, that's all pretty good. But the problem is the balance was unsecured loans, corporate bond funds, and precious metals. $5 billion was listed as other investments, including digital tokens. There are other others like Terra USD, which uses more complex ways using arbitrage and incentive mechanisms involving other cryptocurrencies along with swaps of another token. And uh, how well did this work in 2008 when the mortgage market fell apart? <laughs> We've already seen what has happened to Gosh. Terra and Luna. With they, they just collapsed and they fell off a cliff. They, they're not stable yeah. at all. At so all. Yeah. you got to be very careful. And I just got to say, I don't know about you, but this tangled web of stable coins sounds like all smoke and mirrors to me. Yeah. And again, it reminds me when we get this into the swaps and everything else. Now you're talking back like the mortgage market back in 2008. I mean, it, it was just craziness that went on then. And, and what really kind of gets me sometime on our social media and stuff, where people say, well, you don't, you don't know cryptocurrencies. I don't know the name of the cryptocurrencies, which a lot of these people do. There's 18,000 cryptos out there. But I, have, I, I would almost bet dollar to donuts, I think was the saying, that I have read more on cryptocurrencies than these guys. I think they know about it because they made money on it. I mean, constantly. I just read an article in the Wall Street Journal last week. Uh, I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday where a gentleman had stable coins. He invested $300,000. He's 27-year-old, his entire amount. He only has $6,000 left. 
and, and actually the government actually said they're going to come out and start investigating 401k companies because of the fact that you know you should not just go wild with this. I, I would bet I read more on this because from the articles, articles on Barron's, uh, the Wall Street Journal, uh, read a book called The Future of Money, very good uh, book. I recommend if you're really thinking about cryptocurrencies, read this book. The guy talks about all different things, the future of it, what could happen there. So, I, I mean, these are things that you have to understand. And, and I just still am behind what I'm going to say is that I do not believe this will end well for people that think cryptocurrency is the way to go. I think you're going to be hurt very badly. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I tell people, if you do want to invest in it, truly look at yourself in the mirror and say, do you understand it? And, and don't give me, yeah, 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 I get it. No, actually start asking yourself hard questions about it. And if you get to the end and you say, no, I, I really do understand it, and you can have a great educated discussion with right. it, sure, maybe. But again, me and you were in finance. There's no reason why we can't invest in these cryptocurrencies. There's no reason. Why. I, I like to make money. Right. Know, I know. <laughs> but I, I just don't like to risk things when I don't understand it. And, and we've tried to understand it because, hey, maybe there was an opportunity there. But it, it just doesn't make sense. And again, I talk to people as well. And, oh, it's a currency. Well, how's it a currency? It, it fluctuates. It's all over the place. Right. You can't exchange it for goods. And be, oh, well, now places accept Bitcoin. Well, do you really want to use Bitcoin when you're grocery shopping? I, I wouldn't want to use my investment portfolio to go grocery shopping. Right. That doesn't make any sense. The other thing, too, oh, it's digital gold. And I got that again on uh, Facebook the other day. And I said, <laughs> it's not digital gold. It, think about it. People, when they invest in gold, what do they like about gold? The tangibility. Right. They're like, I, well, I just like that I, I can touch it. Touch it, hold it. Yeah. And, and that's your quintessential gold holder is somebody that, that is scared. They want to have that investment that they can see, they can touch. Well, digital gold, you can't touch that. <laughs> so you're not going to get these people that invest in gold to buy Bitcoin because they want to touch the gold. So how is it digital gold? And a lot of this is just made up to like, oh, remember before what a few months ago, oh, it's an inflation hedge. Well, that's has not been true. I mean, there's just so many things. And again, when you read the book called The Future of Money, also too, who writes these books? That's the other thing too. I'm going to read a book. I want to know who the person I wrote it. The, the gentleman is an economist uh, at Cornell University, professor there. I mean, I think the guy's probably pretty smart. I'll listen to him. And he talks about how he's had arguments with younger people. And he just, okay, fine. You know, because he's not going to argue with them because they think they're right. And just because you know the names of these cryptocurrencies and you watch the tracking of it, it's the same thing that I don't know the names of all the different stocks in, on, on the S&P 500, but I do know the fundamentals of investing. And that's what they're missing on these cryptocurrencies. The fundamentals are not there with coming cryptos. And you can know all the names of them. I don't – almost had a swear word there. I don't give a crap. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you've got to know the fundamentals, and they are not there with cryptos. And I, I think it's going to end very badly for a lot of people. Like this gentleman, I think it was back east. You know, now he's twenty seventy. It, it, he's he's lost what th over three hundred thousand dollars by doing stable, and they were stable coins, what they actually were. So that's crazy. One one thing, sure. real quick, is is it, it is funny. I was reading another article in Barron's about cryptocurrency as well, and it, it was uh, and, you know I'll, I'll listen to pro crypto people try oh, to yeah. understand yeah. it, and it was a pro crypto guy who said, "Yeah, we've been through these types of cycles six times now in the last ten years." 
You've had six cycles, and that's not a cycle. That's just craziness. <laughs> <laughs> that's volatility. That, that's not a cycle. Right. <laughs> it's just it's crazy. So it, I, yeah. I digress. <laughs> yeah, it, it just does kind of hurt a little bit. Uh, by the way, let me go with the phone numbers here. Uh, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Gosh, look over. All lines are open. That'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, final opinion about what you want to talk about. 833-288-0973. And Chase, one more thing before we go to the calls. Uh, a major reason why we do not recommend leaving a 401k at an old employer, uh, according to a recent estimate at the end of 2021, nearly 25,401k accounts or about 20% of all 401k assets were counted as either lost or forgotten. This is a major reason why we do not recommend leaving a 401k an old employer. Many times your best option is to move the funds to an IRA rollover so you can take control and do not forget about those old accounts. If you're unsure if you had a 401k at a previous job, we highly recommend contacting your previous employer HR to see if there are f- any funds in an account that you may have forgotten about. And the other thing too is sometimes you'll say, well, my, my old employer got bought out or, or they, they retired. There are other ways you, you can look at it. So if your no, old employer no longer exists, you do have a few different options. The National Registry of Unclaimed Retirement Benefits is a secure, is a secure site that allows you to search for lost plans using your social security number. Also to the National Association of Unclaimed Property Administrators, operates a database that lets you search for plans by your first and last name. Your old employer may have rolled over your 401k into an IRA as well. Sometimes what happens if you have less than $5,000, you can get forced out of the plan. So all of a sudden, that old employer has no record of it. It's now in an individual retirement account. If that is the case, you can use free ERISA to track it down. And then finally, the Department of Labor's abandoned plan database might offer some updated information on plans that have been or are about to be discontinued. So this is just something that's so important because we've seen this happen before where people have like six old 401ks. It's like, maybe you had seven, you know? And you forgot about that seven? I know, I know. Or or we've talked to people too where they they had five. They're like, oh, I found another one. I had like $10,000. I'm like, $10,000 like that? That's a lot of money. You know, <laughs> it, it's something you, you, you just want to keep it. We always say that IRA rollover is like a suitcase. You take it from employer to employer and you keep it with you. Yep, and, and that is what we do for people as well is that we do want them to roll it over. I've said that for years. Do not leave it at your old company. Well, you know, and the thing is, too, people that go to the new new job, they're excited about the new job. They do kind of forget about it. Um, and, and the other thing, too, that you might have four, five, six different 401Ks because you forgot about them. What if the terrible thing happens? You pass away. They're lost. And, and I forget the numbers at the state, but they're huge numbers that the state gets from people that they just forget about money. And so don't forget about money. You leave your 401k. If you don't know who to call, call us. I mean, we'll, we'll help you roll it over. But never, ever, there's, there's not a circumstance I can think of that I'd say leave it at the old employer. It, there's just no benefit. Because employer can also, you might have some great funds there. Oh, I had great funds there. They did very well. And then you forgot about it a year later the employer changed management. They changed out of that great fund group they had, went to something else, and now you got crap. You didn't even know about it. Yeah, and and the thing is, you look at it, I mean, 
you can invest in those funds and, and anywhere else or, you know, we always recommend too, because we do 401ks for clients or, or business clients. We, right. we do run them for the, the companies. And at any time, if somebody leaves that, we always tell people, we can still do the management for you, right. but we're going to put it in an IRA. It's the same management for you. That way you just don't forget about it. You don't have the yeah. administrative costs that, that come with that. There are costs too that come with 401k accounts that a lot of people aren't aware of. So and I would say, when you have six 401ks, do you think you're really going in and changing the investment allocation on six accounts? And a big thing is beneficiaries. If you have kids, right. oh, yeah. you're not going to be thinking to change your beneficiaries on six old 401ks. Much easier to just do it on one. Yeah. Or if you were married and you got divorced, and then <laughs> down the road, wow, how did my ex-wife get that money? <laughs> yeah. So give us a call on that one. Hey, if you find this information uh, helpful and interesting, there's more to it. Uh, we just kind of touch upon some of the things we talked about over the past week. Uh, sign up for our weekly newsletter. It's free. Go to smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You'll see the newsletter right there. Uh, I think it's, uh, I'm looking at it right now. Where is it? Uh, gosh, I can't find it. Where it's a blog. It's a blog. What blog? Why don't we change? Should we say the? Should we call this the blog and not the newsletter? Or should we change on the website? You know, you've gone back. (laughs) (laughs) But blog was like the name. Like, oh, we got a blog. Well, our our newsletter is old fashioned, but uh, your choice. (laughs) Yeah, you know, let's on Monday tell Rochelle. Let's go back to the newsletter because if I'm promoting here to go to the newsletter, we gotta be able to find it on there, not use blogs. So. These are the conversations we have in the office for people I don't know. So, already phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's head out to San Diego and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Investor over at Chase. How can we help you? Hi, guys. I bought a company a while ago. It was BC. EI Energy, um, it's been taken over, and it's now Civitas Resources. So it's made a quite good gain. I bought it around uh, $18, just wondering if it's time to get rid of it or if it's going to continue to grow. Okay, now, we actually had you listed down for Cigna Corporation, so it sounds like you got a different company. What's the symbol of that company? C is in cat, I, Victor, I. Oh, okay. Civitas Resources. Civitas Wait, I got uh, C-I-V-I, you said? Savita yeah. Resources? Okay, let's see here. Okay. All righty. Yeah, so I had to change gears there. Yeah, I thought you wanted to talk about Cigna, which I was excited about talking about that one, but uh, let's let's see what you have here. And you said you're up on this one now. You're down. Where do you stand? Uh, up. I bought it around $19 a share. Okay. Well, let's take a look at the uh, the fundamentals of Savitas Resources, symbol as C-I-V-I. Uh, they are in the oil and gas ENP industry. Uh, they do have a fairly high float on it. It's almost 10%. Institutional ownership is about 104%. Uh, a decent PE, 13.7 versus 11.4. Price of sales, 2.6 versus 2.4. Price of tangible book value, very good, 1.5. Industry is at 5.6. And price of cash flow is 5.6 versus 6.1. Now, I also do see a good peg ratio going forward. versus 1.2, the lower the peg ratio, the better. Uh, The earnings per share over the last year have increased by 410%, sales up 622%, like many of the energy companies doing extremely high growth on the earnings and the sales. Uh, You do get a 2.3% dividend. They only use 27% of their earnings to pay that out. 
Look at the balance sheet. The current ratio is only 0.5 versus 1.4. They could have a liquidity problem going forward, so be careful with that one there. Uh, debt to equity, very good, though, 0.1 versus 0.6. We do see a net profit margin, 16.2% is what they make at the bottom line, a little bit less than the uh, industry at 198 Return to equity is kind of low, 5.8 versus 22.5. And return on invested capital is only 55 versus 16.4. Jace? Uh, interesting. This company says it's a carbon-neutral oil and gas producer, so I, I don't know how they're uh, offsetting the, the carbon-producing uh, production of, of oil and gas, but something I want to understand if they're, like, buying credits or if they have carbon capture or, or if they're producing, like, biodiesel or something, but uh, that, that that's quite intriguing there. Uh, I did see another thing, too, that the discrepancy between gap and pro forma numbers are, are quite large, that the gap is... Uh, Two dollars and forty. Yeah, the gap is two forty three, and the, the performa was one hundred seven. No, excuse me, I had that flipped around. The performa was one hundred seven, and the gap was two forty three. Kind of strange on that to have such a a, a large discrepancy there. Uh, so, a couple of things I'd want to understand before continuing to hold this for you there, Tim. Uh, but looking at the current price for again, Savitas Resources is seventy nine dollars and sixty cents. 52-week high, $81.45, and a low, $31.74. I do see year-to-date, that stock's up 66.1%, obviously benefiting from these higher energy prices uh, that, that we are seeing. Going out to December 2023, though, I do see estimated earnings per share of $14.41. That would give us a target sell price, still looks very attractive, $239.00. And 21 cents. I will point out there are just four analysts, and the range is quite wide on that as well. At the highs at 1703 and the lows 1193. And one thing that I am cautious on with these energy companies is things are very bright in the energy space right now. Is that going to continue? I'm not as optimistic about energy as what as I was last year, just because prices have accelerated so much. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of back in like 2014 when you looked at companies that were like drillers. Their earnings estimates were enormously high. I mean, you get you get target sell prices on companies that were like, wow, 200% gain. Right. But then all of a sudden, 2015 happened where oil prices collapsed. Those companies started losing money. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very careful with this energy space right now. Uh, I, I personally have a lot of thought that energy is more of a hold now, not necessarily buy. Yeah, and, and Tim, I kind of share with uh, you on that as well. Is that one thing I'll let you know at our firm? Our energy position did get kind of high this past week, and we actually went through all our clients' portfolios and we pulled it back somewhat. Now we're still in energy, as Chase said. It's, I mean, we're not buying it, we're not selling it completely, but because we've done so well on it, we paired it back. So that's the other thing too on this company. I would look at your whole portfolio and say, okay, well, how much do I have in energy? not just this company, because one thing we want to consider, and I don't see it happening, I think I saw it today in the Wall Street Journal, that the war you know, in Ukraine is not going very well, it's going to be going on for a while, but that could change next month. And if that war were to be over, it would change the energy situation dramatically. That's why you don't be over-concentrated in energy. So on top of this company, look at your overall position, you have energy in your portfolio as well. All righty? Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good day and a good weekend. You too. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open another phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Rest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? 
Hi, Vernon Chase. Yeah, I mean, cold, please. And then I'm. Ooh, I think you're on a cell phone. I kind of miss, missed that a little bit. Can you try again? Kohu. Uh, Kohu. Uh, a local company. Okay. C-O-H-U. Okay. Do, do you hold that or looking to buy it? I hold it. Small now. Okay. And you up, you down? Where, where do you stand? Uh, about where I bought it. Maybe slightly up. Okay. Well, let's take a look at Kohu. Uh, that is their name and their symbol as well, C-O-H-U. They are in the semiconductor and equipment and materials industry. Uh, only 3.4% uh, float. That is good. Uh, institutional ownership, 92%. That, that's pretty pretty darn high there. Uh, we do see a P.E. ratio, very good, 9.1 versus 22.9. We see a price of sales of 1.7 versus 5.6. Price to book value, 2.9 versus 45. And then price of cash flow checks in at 15.8 versus 20.3. That also is positive. Now, you got a very nice pay uh, ratio going forward here as well. Only 0.2 versus 3.6. Again, telling you, you're not paying very much at all for the future growth of this company. Now, over the past year, earnings were up 368%. Sales did climb by 18.9%. I'm surprised and disappointed that they do not pay a dividend. I thought for sure they'd pay a dividend, but they do not. Uh, The industry does pay a dividend, uh, about 1.3%. Look at the balance sheet, very strong. Current ratio, 4.3 versus 2.3. Debt to equity, 0.2, half the industry of 0.4. That's a positive. Uh, We also do see that they have a net profit margin of 18.8. That's very good, but the industry is at 24.3. Return to equity is 18.2 versus 55.9. Chase, what do you got going forward? So current price here for Kohu, $29.82. 52-week high, $39.86, and a low $25.06. Uh, I do like that this company is in Poway. So if you, it is in Poway. Yeah, I thought they said headquartered in Poway. I always get them mixed up with Cubic Corporation on Balboa Avenue. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So you know, it'd be kind of interesting if you owned it. You could drive by the headquarters. <laughs> and I gotta point out too. I, I noticed your your T-shirt, a dark side defense from Poway, the football team. Yep, yep. Pretty so cool. coaching Poway football. So <laughs> that's why I like the the headquarters there. But. Uh, I, Year-to-date, stock has struggled a little bit, down about 21.6%. I, I do think some of that could just be that everything's kind of getting lumped together in the tech space and the semiconductor space. We know that like NVIDIA yeah. and, and Micron and, and those companies have get, gotten hit pretty hard. I think all semiconductors kind of sell now, ask questions later. doesn't matter about the fundamentals of companies <laughs> yeah. like this. Yeah. But uh, going forward for the company, I do see next year, December 2023, estimated earnings per share of $2.99. Uh, pretty good here. I, that's of eight analysts. I, I say pretty good here because I, I thought the company was a little bit smaller. Yeah, market cap is $1.4 billion to sort of have eight Small analysts company. on it. That, yeah. that, that's pretty darn good. The two ninety nine though, does give us a target sale price of $49.63. So, I mean, the valuations look very good here, Jim. Uh, one thing that I always point out with this industry that does concern me a little bit is just it's very cyclical. And I don't know how the cyclicality impacts a company like Kohu, but I will say I think the cycle for semiconductors is very favorable long term. We know that people are putting semiconductors in everything. I mean, you talk about just all the semiconductors in cars nowadays. I mean, you put them in blenders, you put them in toasters, you put them in fridges. <laughs> toasters? Yeah. Uh, somebody was, I think it was uh, Pat Gessinger from Intel was talking about, yeah, you're just going to put semiconductors in everything. And, you know, <laughs> you're going to have smart toasters. Smart, smart toasters, yeah. Maybe I'll start for you in the morning. You come out and your toast is perfect. 
but kind uh, of disconcerting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but but Jim, I, I think what you also want to look at because I, I I like the concept of this company. I like it's a San Diego company. A lot of San Diego companies we can't invest in. This one appears it could be a possibility, but like with our company, our our chip company, we know what what products they're going into. Kohu, uh, I don't know that, so I would want to know before I invest in this company because the numbers look pretty good. Now the research comes in. Well, what kind of chips are they building? What kind of backlog do they have? Um, you know, where are the chips going? So, so and I think they're a provider for chip companies. So, so they maybe provide. I, I, I believe so because it says they provide uh, semiconductor like automated test equipment, and, test and equipment, so it okay. sounds like they may be more of an equipment provider rather than a chip, chip manufacturer. Yeah. And and then I would want to know, okay, well, who are they providing to? Because, you know, what type of business they have. So uh, I think it's worth the research to do it on it. A uh, little bit disappointed that the market cap is only $1.4 It's probably below what we would buy because we could move the market if we actually, I, I think, start investing in this company. But uh, I, I think it's worth the research. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jim. All right. Jim? All right. Thanks. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling, Jim. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. All right, that does actually clear out all phone lines. If you've been trying to get on through, you can't get on through, give us a call now. You'll be able to get on through. 833-288-0973. And you've been thinking about, gosh, I'm not sure if I should hold this company, buy more, sell it, what should I do? That's why you call us. We'll run all the fundamentals for you on those companies. Again, 833-288-0973. Right now, let's talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, good, good. So today we're talking about tax filing versus planning. So I I, I want to get the connection here. Do I have it and, wrong? And no, I, I just got to point out that you were, you were gone last week. So Harrison and I tried to do this, but his, his phone wasn't working. So I'm glad we're, oh, we're recovering okay. this, this topic. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do I sound okay over on that end, guys? You sound good today, yep. yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll keep it going then. Hopefully that continues. So <laughs> um, tax filing, tax uh, planning, the difference. So let's talk about tax filing first. So at the beginning of the year, you'll get your W-2s and 1099s from the previous year, and you use those to do your tax return. So sometimes people will say, you know, I need a new CPA or I need to stop using TurboTax because I just paid too much in taxes last year. Well, changing CPAs might not help because at the end of the day, your W-2s and your 1099s are what they are. Um, In many cases, TurboTax is fine for some people and it's cheaper than using a CPA. Um, I think people that really need a CPA would be business owners, people that are self-employed or people with rental properties because a CPA can help you file correctly, make sure you're getting all the deductions that you're entitled to and, um, make sure that you're calculating your depreciation correctly. But in all of these cases, you know, when we're filing, we're looking at last year and last year is over. So we're a little bit limited on what we can actually do to reduce your tax liability. Again, it it kind of is what it is. So tax planning is about looking forward and being proactive to structure your assets, your debt and your income to keep your adjusted gross income and taxable income as low as possible, as consistently as possible. So we want to reduce your tax liability this year, next year, five years, 10 years down the road by, again, being proactive with the actions that we're taking. Um, Since we have a bracketed tax system, 
getting pushed into higher tax brackets is really what hurts people the most over time. So again, we want to try and keep your taxable income consistently low, not just low last year or low this year. Um, in But in, in almost every case I see, people are paying more taxes than they need to, not because they're not filing correctly, but because they don't do the planning beforehand to make sure that their tax li liability is low enough. Um, when I talked about the AGI, so AGI, adjusted gross income, many deductions and credits out there, your your AGI has to be under a certain level in order for you to qualify for that. And, you know, filing a certain way is not going to do anything. But things like the child tax credit, child independent care credit, IRA deduction eligibility, Roth contribution eligibility, um, rental deduction, student aid qualifying, earned income tax credit, Medicare premiums, medical expenses, student loan interest deduction, all of these things are based on your AGI. So if you want to get access for that benefit and qualify for those things, we have to do the right things throughout the year to make sure your AGI is low enough so that you can actually be eligible for it. So for example, of some things we can do, you know, if we can keep your income low enough, that can cause your capital gains and dividends to be tax-free. If we withdraw from the right or wrong accounts, it can cause your Social Security to become taxable. Um, maybe it wouldn't have been before. <clears throat> if we convert pre-tax to Roth in years at the right amounts, it can prevent you from being pushed into higher tax brackets when your RMDs begin. Um, if you donate to charity with an IRA as opposed to an outright cash, that can directly reduce your AGI. Um, if we save in the right accounts, it can reduce what your taxes are going to be in the future relative to what it is now. Um, in some cases, you can pay state taxes from your business to get a federal tax deduction. Sometimes it makes sense to file separately as opposed to jointly to qualify for um, a lower student loan payment. So all of these things are actions that you want to be aware of and um, perform throughout the year because those are the things that are ultimately going to be what reduces your tax liability. So that's that's really what planning is all about, looking forward and, and being proactive. And, and Harrison, I know we had a conversation yesterday in the office. I forget the details of it, but it was kind of like, gosh, was there anything you do? And you said, well, I can't do anything because they already, they came to me too late. They already did something and they couldn't reverse it. So that's why the planning is so important to talk to, you know, talk to you first so that you can save on taxes and can get the plans together. And there's so many different factors of financial planning, but people wait and do stuff, then come to you. It's like, it's, you know, like too late. Yeah. You can't plan. Yeah. Yeah. After. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you said you could have saved them a lot of money had they talked to you first before they did what they did. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes that's the case. People will do things and then a few months later, the, the, the tax year will end and they'll be like, okay, okay, I'm ready to file my taxes. What can I do? And it's like, <laughs> well, we should have had this conversation six months ago. Then we actually would have been able to do something about it. And that's the other thing, too, that for people who don't realize, I mean, you're in our office, you're a financial planner, uh, you, you're a CFP, you're on a salary, you don't sell product people, we encourage them to give you a call first if they become a financial planning client because they can be a client and two years later all of a sudden, well, I'm going to make this change if they don't call you and then they do it and then they come into you, it's too late. So that's what you're there for. We encourage people, give Harrison a call if you're a financial planning client. And if you're not, you should become a client um, because again, that's what you're there for. You're like the captain of the ship to kind of control things going forward. So shame they don't get and it. And in many cases... In many cases, making the wrong decision um, hurts more than making the right decision. So, I mean, 
taxes especially are extremely complicated and there's all these different things. Um, but if you're not aware of the consequences of a certain thing that you do, it can cause you to pay more taxes. You might never even know. So, right. Um, that's why we have to, you know, be aware of it and be proactive about it. Exactly. Well, uh, we'll see you on Monday. Thanks for calling in today and you have a great weekend. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Again, it's Harrison Johnson. He is a CFP. He's our financial planner at Wilsey Asset Management. If you want to talk to him, give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. You can also see him on the website. Uh, contact by email. Go to smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. I looked over. All lines are open. Give us a call. That unbiased, no student tax. Put in my opinion. Chase. I was going to say, we, we did have an email over over the uh, last week as well. You know, and I did, go to that. I did pull up. Oh, no, there it is. Okay, Joanne. So I, I think she hung up, and okay. now she's calling back, I believe. So she uh, is she on... Uh, she with us? Can I? Okay, Joanne, are uh, you on the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase? How can we help you? I am. I'm sorry, I had a little headphone problem. Oh, no problem. <laughs> How can we help you? Just looking at Skywork Solutions. I follow it in a women's investing group that I'm in, and I also have a little bit personally. Just wondered your thoughts on it. Call sign is SWKS. Okay, let's take a look at uh, Skywork Solutions. Symbol is SWKS. Uh, we mm-hmm. do see that they're in the industry of semiconductors. Uh, only 1.8% is shorted on, on the stock there. Institutional ownership, 75%. Uh, good start here, Joanne. The P-E ratio is 13, well below the industry at 19.9. Price of sales, 3.4 versus 4.9. Price to book value, 11.9 versus over 100 for the industry. And then price of cash flow, 10.8 versus 13.3 and a peg ratio of only 0.9 versus 4.8. Now, over the last year, earnings have increased by 13.8%, which is below the industry growth of 46.6%. However, sales are up 20.5% above the industry at 11.5%. So they could be increasing their sales and using some of that money to actually reinvest in the business, which would hurt the earnings, but it could be a good thing long term. Now, they do pay a 2.1% dividend, which is better than the industry at 1.5%. And the company only uses 2.6, or I'm sorry, 26.2% of the earnings to pay that out. Also to the five-year growth on that dividend has been 14.9%. Now, looking at the balance sheet, you got a current ratio 2.2 versus 3.1, that's okay. Debt to equity 0.5 versus 0.6. Um, also too, we see that the net profit margin is 26%, uh, just slightly above the industry at 25.4. And the return on equity is 26.4, roughly the same as the industry at 26.6. So I like what I see here. Chase, what are you seeing going forward? Yeah, taking a closer look at the, the numbers here for Skyworks as well. Current price here, $106.71. 52-week high, wow, $197.62. And the low here, $97.59, was hit in the month of May. Do you see year-to-date stock is down about 30.5%, so a, a, a definitely a nice pullback there in, in the stock. Going forward, though, I do see estimated earnings per share for October 2023. Company does report on a fiscal basis. It's $12.29. That does give us a target sell price of $204.01. So great valuations. And I remember this company, and this is years ago. One thing I was cautious about was I believe Apple was a huge part of their sales. 
And oh, that was one thing that always yeah. concerned me about just companies is that I don't like when one company makes up, I, I think it was something crazy, like 40% of, of sales overall. I, I don't know where things stand now for the company, but the, that's one thing I would definitely want to understand there, Joanne. Okay. Now, tell me one more time. You take the earnings per share mm-hmm. times the P.E. ratio to come up with that future price earnings or price target? Yeah, so we, we take the, the estimated earnings per share, and then we take 16.6. That, that's the the average over the the long term average for the Ford PE multiple on on the market, so uh, that that goes back, gosh, I think like uh, thirty years. So we've been through different right. cycles. That's why we use the sixteen point six. That's the estimated. Then we multiply that by the estimated earnings, and that gives us our target sell price. Okay, and, thank and, you so much, guys. Oh, and also Joanne too. One thing that we do have that we do and have done is we do come out and talk to investment groups. So if you have an investment group and you want us to come out and talk to and explain more about how we do things. We do that for investment clubs. So give us a call at the office. We'll do that for you. Thank you. You're welcome. Good talking to you. Have a great week. You too. Right. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, that opens the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Bill. Bill, you're on the Smart Vest Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, interested in <clears throat> triple point value group. TP, VG. Okay. And do you hold that or look at uh, look at buying it? Uh, <clears throat> I hold it, but I'm uh, looking at uh, possibly uh, picking up some more of the stock. Okay. And I noticed it appears to be a business development company, which is yes, a little is. bit different. And I remember, and I can't, I can't remember what I didn't like about them, but I know there's issues with them that I did not like. But let's look at the numbers here to see what we come up with. Uh, again, it's triple point venture growth. BDC Corporation, symbol is TPVG. They are in the industry of asset management. Uh, no institutional ownership or no uh, short that I can see here. Now, we do see the P.E. ratio is 6.5 versus 9.7. Price to sales, 5.7. That's very high. The industry is only at 2.3. Price to book value, 1.1 versus 11.4. That is a positive. Uh, no price to cash flow. So I don't know where, where the cash flow is, but the pig ratio does look good, 2.4 versus 5.2. Now, they have seen their earnings grow nicely over the last year, up 32.7% versus 15.4. Uh, sales are up 30%, also above the industry at 24.8, so that's looking pretty good. I do see a five-year estimated growth on those earnings of only 4%, though, which is below the industry at 79 now, this is probably what's attractive to you is that 9.7% yield on the dividend. It shows here they only use 63% of their earnings to pay that out. That's pretty good. But I do wonder, gosh, it is a pretty high dividend of 9.7. So you want to be careful here. Uh, I would also look at the cash flow to see what the cash flow looks like. Now, going to the balance sheet, uh, again, they don't seem to have a regular balance sheet or I see no current ratio at all, no quick ratio. I do see a debt to equity of 1 versus 0.9. Uh, net profit margin, well, this is strange, 87% versus 20.5. And again, even though that's very high, I look at more as a wing sign than a positive because it could be they did something great last year to really boost the the, the net profit margin. There, there, there's just something accounting going on there, and I don't like seeing such a high number. It could be uh, something that could cause you problems going forward. Return on equity, 16.4 versus 13.9. That's a positive. 
Uh, Chase, do you have anything going forward on this company? Yeah, so first, looking at the current price here for, again, uh, Triple Point Venture Growth, it's $14.79, 52 week high $19.25, and then the low $13.70. I see it as pretty small here, just $459 million uh, in terms of the market cap for the business. But I, I do have some estimated earnings going forward. Uh, December 2023, it's $1.64, which gives us a target sale price of $27.22. So that that's pretty favorable there, and I'm pretty surprised to have seven analysts for again a, a company that is uh, in the hundreds of millions. So um, I don't I don't know how I feel about it. I guess I, I would have to understand again more about the business development type company, what they do exactly. Um, but some of the numbers are strange, some of the numbers look good. It, I don't know. I'm kind of over the map here. And, and if I remember the business development companies, what they do is they get money, then they go out and they buy the companies. Um, that always kind of worries me because you're kind of investing in a blind pool. So I, I, I just don't like that because I, I want to be able to invest. And when we invest in a company, we know what they hold. We know what they're doing and so forth. With these BDCs, you could get something good. You could get something bad. I think you mentioned about adding more money to it. I, I would advise against it because you just don't know what you're getting. Uh, I don't know how long this company's been around. I don't think we can see that anywhere. But I, I just don't like the BDCs. I'd, I'd rather go out myself and find a company that I can find the fundamentals on, the earnings and so forth, as opposed to investing blindly in a, uh, a BDC. I, and I guess when people invest with us, they don't know what we're going to buy, but they know the concept of what we're buying, and we don't sit on the cash. With a BDC, you give them all this money, they could be sitting on a lot of cash. And, and I also believe, too, there's some rules on how long they can hold that cash and they can send it back. It, it just, I don't like things being complex here, Bill. I like things simple, and I just don't think BDCs are that simple. All righty? Okay. Great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the opinion. All right. Thanks, Colin. You have a good one. Hey, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. And by the way, all lines are open, 833-288-0973. Well, Chase, uh, let's talk about inflation and finances. Did uh, you want to do uh, Southwest as oh, well? Oh, that's right, we did that. That's yeah. right, we, I, I'm glad you remember I want to make sure, because I, I tell people, if you, if you have questions, <laughs> you, you can also send us an email or you can contact us on the website. So, um, you know, want to make sure we, we stay true to that. Yes, and and actually got buried on my page. Uh, I, I thought it might have. That's yeah. why I was kind of peeking around here. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at the Southwest Airlines. I'm kind of excited to look at this too because I'm. I know a lot of people are traveling, but gosh, the cost of fuel has to be extremely high for these airlines. So I am kind of curious if now is a good time to buy them or not. So take a look at the Southwest Airlines. Their symbol is L U V. Uh, they are in the industry, obviously, of airlines. Uh, only 2.9 percent short. 78% institutional ownership. P.E. ratio, 46.2, but that's that's good compared to the industry. It is not material. Price to sales, 1.4. That's above the industry of 0.7. Price to book value, 2.8 versus 46.8. And a price to cash flow, 9.6. That is above the industry of 7.9, and there is no peg ratio. Uh, looking at the earnings per share over the last one year, nothing there. Sales did increase by, wow, 168%, but the whole industry was up 115%. Unfortunately, the five-year growth rate is a negative 21%. The whole industry is a negative 27%. So I think this could be like just a one-year boost here. And going forward, people could be pulling back on the traveling. Uh, Southwest does not pay a dividend. 
Look at the balance sheet. You got a current ratio of 1.9 versus 1.1. That's a positive. Debt to equity 1.2, which is about where we start to get a little bit uncomfortable. We're okay with it depending on other factors. But the industry has a debt to equity of 3.1. Net profit margin 3.2. The industry is a negative 11.8. And return on equity is 5.6 versus 23.7% decline. Return equity. What do you got for the earnings, Chase? Yeah, so current price here for Southwest to start. Well, let's see here. It's at the bottom $43.84. The 52 week high is $60.34. I, I do remember that last year. It was the, the reopening trade that yes. everybody wanted to get back into. Yeah. So it has pulled back off those highs. And now the 52 week low, well, that was $36.75. Year to date, the stock is up 2.3%, though. So a, a buck in the trend of the market is that is now down 13.5% for the year. If I go out, though, for Southwest to December 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share of $3.89. does give us an attractive target sell price of $64.57. So uh, good valuations there. I'm still interested to see how this shakes out for the airline industry. We know, again, the energy costs are having to raise the prices of airline tickets dramatically to pay for that, that higher fuel. And is that going to be sustainable? For the consumer, and also too, what could happen with an airline is that a year from now, uh, the war in Ukraine is over. Things have changed. We may be pumping more oil, uh, and oil maybe went down from we'll call it 120 down to 80. Um, could be very beneficial for a good, strong company like, like Southwest Airlines. So if you look ahead, 12, 18, 24 months, I, th- there could be some possibilities here. I I might want to be a little more patient uh, than 43. I mean, we'd have to figure out what our target buy price would be, but. I, I kind of like this, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a great company. And one thing, too, to understand on the balance sheet is I did see one of the warnings was actually there, there's high potential dilution. And I believe that may have stemmed from a lot of convertibles that, that could have been issued during the, the pandemic. We know right. that these airlines had to really do a lot financially to make sure they didn't go under. And one thing that I think will happen as well is that we, we know that the airline fares have gone way up. So I talked about oil a year from now could be lower. The airline prices probably will come down, but not to where they were before. Mm-hmm. So that would increase the profits for the airlines. Yeah. Now, if the economy does slow slow down dramatically, and we talked about, you, you think next year it could be a recession? If that does happen, maybe people would stop, you know, traveling, spending. That could be another factor there as well. <laughs> but I mean, Southwest Airlines, and I do worry. I, I think their CEO has been there for a long time, but I believe he's like in his seventies now, or close to seventy. Do you have that information? I was just going to look it up, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I think it, it, Gary Kelly was Gary his Kelly. name. But I thought they already had a contingency plan now oh, really? uh, in place. I, I could be confusing that with a different airline. Uh, yeah, uh, yep. Robert E. Jordan is now the CEO uh, as of February 1st, 2021. February 1st, 2000. So he's been there for a year. So oh, he- I'm sorry, February 1st. 2022. So he is oh very recent. Okay, so that's only like a three months. Yeah, four months. So um, you kind of want to maybe also see how he does, what he's doing. Will he carry on? Because sometimes you know somebody come in and change things dramatically. Not do you know it could be bad changes. So that that would be something I kind of maybe hold off a little bit because now because Gary Kelly was there for gosh I think 20 years. He just a great job with Southwest. I would be kind of curious what this new guy. What, what was his name? He said uh, Robert Jordan. Robert Jordan. Uh, what he's going to do going forward. That, that's and, and that's one thing, too, that we we talk about. We do look at the management of the companies and so forth. Uh, it, it is one thing. Even though the numbers look good, we can't really give Robert Jordan. The other thing he can do, too, which would be, I think, bad, 
is get rid of the management that maybe Gary Kelly had. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll do that, like, well, I want my guys in here. So they take out the guys that knew what was going on with Southwest before, bring somebody new in, and then he can start he can start doing crazy things like acquiring you know, airlines at high prices, but who knows? So I'd, I'd be careful of this one now. That I, yeah, I would know. say he has been with Southwest for 34 years. Uh, Robert Jordan? Yes. Okay. So well, that's helpful. He, he could be a Gary Kelly guy that, right. that operates very similarly. Gary Kelly, I, I don't know, could also still be, I believe it's Gary Kelly. <laughs> I could be wrong. I, no, I, I, think, I think it is, is Gary correct. Kelly. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> might be still on the board of directors, so he no. could still be involved. Okay. Alrighty, well, there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information there. Uh, and for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Thank you for listening for the show. We'll have a great show next week, so have a good day. I did all.